Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today um, on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we are at White Chimneys in Lancaster County uh, with Jessica uh, Meyer and her father, and I'm sorry, I can't remember your first name. Pardon I can't me? remember your first name. Yeah, Jack. I was like, I was, I was thinking Jake, and then I was like, no, that's I, well, not I right. Talk, and then I was like, I just need to like I make a public confession. So anyway, that's that's my public confession for you, Jack. So <laughs> that um. So anyway, so thank you for, for having me. Um, tell me about your background. Well, um, I wanted just to start with um, my father, Jack. Um, we've been here at White Chimneys for um, about 15 years, uh, 14 years. And um, it wasn't, it, buying a, a property like uh, White Chimneys is something you aspire to do. Um, and then one day when it happens, um, it's, it's a little overwhelming at times. So uh, I have a love of, of history, of historical accuracy that has uh, started in my childhood. And my father had a lot to do with that. So um, I'm going to let dad step in here and say a few words about how he began his love affair with history and preservation. Well, my my family settled in Pennsylvania, what became Pennsylvania, uh, shortly after or around 1626 down here in, in what is now Delaware. And my first great-grandfather, which would be great, 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 mm -hmm. was born there uh, in 1637. Now, he's buried in a little churchyard over on the other side of of uh, Philadelphia in, in New Jersey. So the family was here a long time and spread out. And uh, I grew up uh, in a, oddly enough, coincidentally enough, uh, in a little house that uh, was, uh, had no foundation. It was built on logs of, along near a river. And uh, I had a grandmother, my mother's mother, that side of the family that's been here so long, uh, who encouraged me uh, when I took a liking as, oh, an eight or nine-year-old to, to history, to older things. And I remember the first thing, the first thing that uh, she helped me get, uh, I bought for $10 <laughs> back then, about uh, 
1954, was a spinning wheel, uh, a big wool wheel. So uh, I have a lot of the things that I, I got as a young person, I still have. And I, I just developed that interest. I developed an, an interest in history and, and in general. And of course, now you say preservation because I do know how to do a lot of those things. Yeah. I'm currently restoring the fireplace in the older part of the of the house here in the cabin, right. cabin part. So yeah, I, I've, I've had an interest in that and was encouraged in that since I've been a young person. And I think that a lot of people, at least when I talk to people in, um, in, that are interested in history and preservation, it's usually something that they've always been interested in. It's not, it's not something that they came to you know, later. It's something that has always been an interest and they've, they've wanted to learn more. So I think that that's, um, that's important to them to have such a long um, connection to the country too, I think makes a, makes a, a difference. Um, so you you bought you bought White Chimneys as a property which um, is celebrating its 300th anniversary this year. So the the original part the the what what um, they're calling the cabin was um, 1720 with with additions then built around it. Um, do you or so did you did you buy the property with the intention to restore and preserve it? Was that was that your intention? I, I did. I I really I really like that. I just hobby at that. Mm -hmm. I call it hobby at it all the time. I love to do that kind of work. It, it certainly was a property that we knew needed a lot of TLC. Mm -hmm. It had um, not been occupied for uh, different portions of the of this um, century actually, um, but it. it it was a little overwhelming. Yeah. We, we didn't know where it was going to go. Um, we, I feel very strongly that um, we wanted to share it with the community. Uh, it is listed on the National Registry of Historic Places. Mm -hmm. uh, the Historic Preservation Trust has an easement here. So of course we knew that when we purchased the property, it was part of the deed. Um, so we, um, weren't sure where we, it was going to take us. We were just going to live here. We never wanted to do a bed and breakfast. <laughs> and that's, uh, I still feel pretty strongly about that. So uh, it will never be a bed and breakfast. Um, but literally uh, what happened uh, a few years down the road, we thought we'd have a pumpkin patch. Maybe we'll do some hay rides. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, turns out we're not so good at growing pumpkins. Oh, no. <laughs> anything else but maybe <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's all those little things that, that yeah. kind of you know let us come along and people would just pull directly we still had a pretty high level of interest just mm -hmm. from the public or people driving by and i will never forget one day someone is standing there and asking oh can we take our wedding pictures here oh can we come in the barn and have a reception here and uh, I was flabbergasted, couldn't believe that someone would like to stand there in the tobacco barn. Right. It, it was in shambles, it did not look like it does now. But that was just the very beginning and as we, we led ourselves along, um, just making the garden flow, fixing the landscape, 
there were trees in the four squares, full trees. Right. Uh, so we had to do a lot of um, re-landscaping. Um, again, I'm passionate about historical accuracy. So our interest was really to, to make it as it, as it was intended or, or the original design. Uh, there was a lot of concrete here. We jackhammered out concrete, put back original cobblestones and, and Belgian block. Um, electric lines, that was uh, also one of the first things. Did we, you bury them? They all, yeah. They're all underground. Yeah. That was our first major project when we moved here. That would have been in, um, in like January of 2007. Um, the seven-month process working with PPNL. Yes. Underground. <laughs> Uh, getting everything off the road. They had to put a new transformer in off the road uh, and then, of course, reroute everything to the house. So some of those things, just, just redoing the infrastructure right. was huge. And um, we, we and then the well pump went. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to put a new well pump yes. in. And then we had a pump back with the furnace. We had to get a new furnace. So, oh. There was, yeah. The first couple, like we had. Were you starting to question your decisions? <laughs> I was living, we've all seen the movie Money Pump. Right. I mean, I was But as we got those major things out of the way, and then we started to get into cosmetic things, and um, we just. All the way up to just this past um, six months ago, yeah. um, you were involved helping us get a, um, a brand new cedar shake roof on the house, which I don't know when it was replaced last, probably this, the, the 50s or 60s mm -hmm. is what I would suspect. So uh, we're very excited about that. That was a major project. Yeah, this, <clears throat> this side of the house, the, old, the older part, mm -hmm. what I call the cabin in the 1718 edition. Um, it was a shambles. It was not habitable. And uh, so I I just assessed the whole thing. The, the first floor here where we're sitting, the floor sag, you could dump a five gallon bucket of water in the floor <laughs> and it just go in the middle. Yeah. Oh no. So it was actually like oh, sunken yeah. in the middle. The yeah. fireplace hearth had, had collapsed at some point and they had just covered the import concrete over this. So I uncovered all the stones right. and then, then I just decided since both of the the main beams in the house on this side were broken and the ceiling sagged, which meant the upstairs floor sagged. Mm -hmm. uh, I took everything out. Uh, you could stand here on the first floor and look at the bottom of the shingles up on the mm -hmm. third floor. Yeah. So I took everything off and uh, I replaced what needed to be. I put sisters on. I kept all the original beams, uh, replastered the walls, uh, and, and just basically rebuilt rebuilt the house pretty yeah. much like it was. And uh, I uh, I ran a conduit from the from in the corner of one of the rooms here uh, from the cellar all the way to the attic, an eight inch industrial electrical conduit mm -hmm. schedule eighty. So so when I did that I put portals in there and I brought water and uh, electric out to all the rooms because this this side of the house only had uh, one knob and tube right. running through here and, and that wasn't safe. No. So uh so I really I really have enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I discovered things along the way in the, in the old side and the camera side, mm -hmm. for instance, at, at one point, uh, I guess about, around 1830, they added the federal style stairway in here. Okay. What was there prior to that was a door in the wall where you would climb up a sort of a ladder, mm -hmm. which is very typically uh, Europe, Dutch European mm -hmm. uh, construction. Right. So I'm, I'm looking at that side of the house and saying, hey, this was really early. Yeah. Uh, maybe somebody homesteaded here before there was even William Penn had said, let's have a little land office, you get your ticket, later on you'll get your, your deed, yeah. you know, or patent. Yeah. And, and uh, it's just been, to me, that's high adventure. <laughs> that <laughs> was high adventure. That was, that was the frontier. Uh, the, uh, when you, the beams that were broken, were they, I guess they weren't cut to put, they weren't cut to put plumbing in because well, if there wasn't plumbing the on the problem, side. The problem with the beams were, they were eight by eights, mm -hmm. and the original uh, builders had cut in five inches. So all that was really holding, right. The center part on both sides of, of these yeah. buildings was three inches of lumber. Oh goodness! And uh, I guess they took the whoever was living here at the time mm -hmm. at some point had taken the partition walls out, and so when that happened over a period of yeah. time, uh, the beams actually cracked and broke, and the house settled, yeah. and uh, it made a real real. Uh, uh, construction project, uh, yeah, reconstruction yeah. project. And, and uh, the reason I asked is because typically, like especially in early like colonial buildings, then the Victorians would have cut the beams to put plumbing in for bathrooms and things like that. And then you have that issue later on. So that's why I was curious, but that it, it, maybe it was just bad construction. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't have building permits. <laughs> no, they didn't. There was no such thing as that. <laughs> so the, um, the building was built in multiple phases. So the earliest is 1720 and then 1780. Well, the earliest documented in 1720. Okay. But it's very obvious this cabin was used is much earlier. earlier. Yeah. And then so and that, then they yeah. added on in 1718 or 1720. Here. Okay. The, the construction of the cabin is typically continental European, like German or Dutch, mm -hmm. um, maybe Swedish. And and this addition here. You know, the other the, the cabin had the door on the side where you walk into the kitchen. This addition here has a door in the middle, uh, absolutely in English. Right, yeah. So, yeah, more balanced. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then there's, is there one other addition in the 20s and the 90s? Okay. Actually, two. Yeah, two more? So okay. So the next, the third addition to the house well, was 1807. Okay. And that was the half of the front which faces south yes and then the next addition would have been 1923 which is on the west side of the house okay. yeah yeah so and it's kind of just built like all around the original Um, and when before we got started, we kind of were chatting about the. Um, is it an Italian style garden? Is that the garden? That so yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it would be what we you could call an Italian aid garden. Um, obviously, the French 
have quite a few of these gardens as well. Uh, I love the French influence. Um, the Marquis de Lafayette or General Lafayette, as we know, uh, is uh, rumored to have stayed here in 1825. Well, you're a good um, <laughs> I don't think it was just a rumor. I think it was actually documented. <laughs> There's lots um, of rumors about this place. <laughs> lots of rumors, celebrating its 50th anniversary, right. President Monroe extends an invitation to Lafayette. Now, 50 years prior was our Revolutionary War. Right. Lafayette was 18. He was, you know, suddenly thrown into the war uh, by his own choice. Right. Uh, he wasn't exactly uh, coerced, um, but he became a um, very lifelong friend of George Washington. Mm -hmm and Washington putting him in charge of um, some of the units. And of course, without the French financial backing, um, wow. who knows what we would be speaking today. <laughs> um, certainly the, the languages um, were influenced as well. Yes. But um, so Lafayette was invited uh, 50 years later to come back to the Americas and have a victory lap. And he took a whole year to do this. Oh, really? He and, and you know he was um, in Louisiana as well, so there's quite a few areas that he did travel um, during that year. So the question in our minds has always been: if he really, if he did stop and stay here, why here? Was this just the place to be in 1825, right. or what's the likelihood that they were wintering at Valley Forge? Right. And it's highly likely they were here and marched right by here. Yeah. Well, so when, when he returned, uh, which was 1824, uh, because of course, you know, you had to get on the ship and sail over. So when he returned, uh, the idea of his trip was that he would revisit all the places that he had been during the revolution. So that, that was, was, what I would call a big tip-off, the fact that at some point he had, during, during the Revolutionary War, and he was very close by, right. uh, probably stopped here right. or, or, or came here for whatever reason. Maybe he did stay here, but he came and he stayed here at least a week back in, in 1824 or five. Um, <clears throat> Benjamin Franklin is, supposed to have slept here uh, and left a, this little addition was an inn and a tavern. The folks, the folks who owned the property back then at that time also owned the stage line that went from Lancaster to Philadelphia. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So, so uh, Franklin had written an IOU to the innkeeper. <laughs> so we know that uh, he, was, he was here. Right. We know the president of Princeton was here on his way to get away from the British. And it's very likely, it's very likely that uh, uh, many of the since this was the last stage stop on the way to Lancaster. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was, I was actually, as you were talking, I yep. was thinking that would be a, that would be a nice trip to right. Lancaster from here. And then how many, like there must've been another at least stop between about here and every, Philadelphia. About the yeah. average every 10 miles. Yeah. So we're 13 miles from yeah. the center. Uh, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, most of the Continental Congress people uh, would have stopped here. Right. 
uh, I had asked years ago, I had asked uh, the president of the Leicester County uh, Historic Preservation, mm -hmm. how, would, how would we be able to know who stopped here? And he laughed. He said, he said it would be easier to know who didn't stop here <laughs> because everybody stopped right, here. Right. So, so that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a, a gentleman here, a writer from England, who uh, I'm, I'm not sure which magazine or, or article he was writing, but it was a historical article, who had done quite a bit of research, which, which uh, at, at the time, I mean, logically, of course he should have, but at the time it surprised me. He said, really, when you consider this place, and as, as old as it is, mm -hmm. and the fact that Penn came here to meet the Indians about signing this treaty, he says, he says uh, America was, was born in your front yard. <laughs> so yeah. I, like, I like that. Yeah. I like that very much. And it's it's definitely it it's definitely a it, it it ties the building and the building as like a witness to all of this history, and now your 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 stewardship is allowing that to because it wasn't in good shape when you got it. We so definitely that, need a time yeah. machine to put here. <laughs> and this this room here, which was the end, and there was what the kitchen now was the bar room. Yes. And uh, and or just be a mouse in the corner. Oh yeah, so. yeah definitely. So you've kind of not exactly, but you're 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 current currently you you live here, but then you also have you know it's not an inn, but you have a, a venue for for events. Um, and so, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were speaking of the gardens, and indeed, the the gardens works extensive. Um, I keep adding more sections and. We'll always be committed to that. I love another set of fountains. I think, <laughs> I think it's time. It's been like 150 years since we had new fountains. So <laughs> let's add another yeah. set. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yes, as, as we went along, suddenly um, we had an interest in um, just passerbys or people, you know, start to take pictures and say, hey, that's a nice place. We can get mm -hmm. our wedding pictures taken there right. in between wherever they were going, the church and, and the reception hall. Um, and of course, weddings have changed a little bit in the last 15, 20 years. We've, we've definitely seen an uh, interest in, in his, his, uh, historic estate mm -hmm. weddings. You know, we're not going to the fire hall or the country club or the crystal ballroom anymore. Right. They're, they're definitely going out. Uh, this is part of the millennials. <laughs> uh, the millennials are looking for an experience. Right. So I am passionate about creating an experience that, of course, they're interested in. We um, are very well known for working with each couple individually and being able to customize their dreams, really pull out what it is that it has attracted them or what it is that they're looking for. Um, I have found so many themes here at the White Chimneys property. Mm -hmm. There are formal French themes. There are um, rustic garden themes. Uh, we talked about the different centuries, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. Um, what is it that's attracting them? Uh, I'm, I'm finding that not, there's not one couple that, that wants every, you just, there's so much you can't even get every right. single part yeah. of it in your yeah. wedding day. So we definitely kind of hone in, you know, what do you, do you want to be out in the field and take pictures with the horses? Do you, you want that formal elegance in the front yard, the symmetry? Is that what you're attracted to? So 
it's really an opportunity for us to promote historic uh, preservation that way as well. Every single one of our tours begins with a little history lesson. We tell them why we exist, why we're here, uh, because we, we are different than the country club. Right. We're, that's, yeah. that's not our focus. So we're, we're very, very excited about that. Um, I feel that we've grown and uh, expanded our preservation efforts based on our tours and our mm -hmm. level of interest. Um, this is our 13th year now doing weddings. It is not what it was when we started. Mm -hmm. You know, originally when someone asked if they could come and take their wedding pictures, we're like, oh sure, no problem, come on over. Right. Now, I need an appointment. I, I need to know when they're coming. We really uh, give a lot of direction. Um, when we added uh, restrooms, in the tobacco barn uh, approximately 2008 um we thought everything would be fine but, right you know someone unfortunately has to empty the trash and clean up after right. all of that yeah. so we we had a whole nother um business and a whole nother um issue to take care of so we realized that yeah, weddings and bathrooms don't just happen themselves <laughs> um someone actually has to come in and, and provide some direction. Right. So from that aspect, the more that I stepped in and, and helped uh, bring the wedding to fruition, we attend to every detail, uh, it really has an incredible outcome. And I think, um, I was thinking back to my, when I was in college, right out of high school, I was a banquet server at the Eden. So when you said the crystal ball room, <laughs> I was having flashbacks. <laughs> um, but um, the, um, I was thinking about there, and I've talked about it, I believe, on the podcast before, but the idea of doing, doing two things. So, like, if you're, at least for me, for, from a preservation standpoint, if I have a choice of, like, I'm looking for a venue, I try to find one that is historically based also. So then we're helping promote the, the history of that property, but we're also helping to preserve it through the money that we're paying. So, and I think that you probably attract people that that's important to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the way we handle alcohol at the wedding is that we have um, a, a, a bartending um, service vendor, uh, certified and insured. So basically, the the couples bring their own alcohol. It's considered BYOB, right. but the, the bartending service takes care of it. One of the things that we really encourage them to do is to make a signature drink. We are still zoned residential ag, right. so we have it. We've we've added the French Potager Garden, so mm -hmm. we have all our vegetables lined up with mm -hmm. the herbs as well. Yes. This is not just a a, a random uh, herb garden. This right. is a, a formal French herb garden. Um, so we will sit with the couples. We'll bring them back for planning visits. Uh, we use rosemary, lavender, thyme, sage, mint. We'll help them create a signature cocktail yes. with an herb. We just go pick while Out they're the, watching. Yes. And they just love it. This is the experience that we're talking about. So now, you know, not only did they come to the historic estate, they're drinking and celebrating with herbs right there. They're grown, yes. <laughs> and their minds are just working. Yes. They, they just can't do it. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the ways that, again, everything we do, we try to find some way that, as you mentioned, being a steward and, and, and having a sustainability that we're really looking towards the future. And this yeah. this generation of millennials and uh, how do we capture everybody? Yeah. Um, you know, we've got four young children here that um, are, are growing up and 
and they're already passionate about it. They, yes. they can't yes. imagine living anywhere else. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I know that they will be excellent stewards in the years to come. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I think that that's part of that exposure early on and, and the value system. It is, it is, a, it is values too. Yeah. Um, so I know that we're going to talk a little bit with the, the HVAC guy about the air, air infiltration system, but you, you already have been, well, we can talk about, you know, why, why we're talking about it in relation to, to everything that's going on, but then you've installed it in the main house. So I just want to hear your experiences yeah. with it. So obviously, um, modern amenities, um, there's this concept of HVAC or central air. Uh, we, we've done several things through the years. On the heat side, there was just an, a, a single oil furnace. And when we, when we purchased the property in uh, 2006, so it is now all propane. So we've done a complete conversion, obviously much cleaner. We don't have the odor. Uh, the house is all hot water radiators, so but it's run on propane. So uh, from the heating aspect, I feel like we finally got that. <laughs> oil, our, yeah, oil's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, HVAC. So in the house uh, portion, uh, there was a central air that was installed approximately in the year 2000. So we're already at 20 years. Right. Uh, when my father did the repair to the beams in the 1700s portion, like as he was speaking mm -hmm. of, um, there's different kinds of ductwork and bottom line, the ductwork was not installed with the proper R value and to a manner that as it was sitting in the third floor eaves, it would sweat and right. then of course we got black mold in the ductwork. So this was discovered uh, last year, 2019, oh my and we yeah. discovered that we needed to do a complete replacement of this ductwork ASAP yeah. for his health. Right. So um, got, got in touch with um, a, a local company who is passionate about um, preservation and um, really quality work. So he, he's going to speak a little bit yes. more about this. We had some technical issues joining him right now. But he um, makes custom ductwork. And last year, we that was a, a high urgency to, to replace this system uh, for my father. Uh, one of the things that he had done, and I guess I didn't really realize last year, he you know, explained the whole system and what he was doing. And we said, hey, that looks great. Um, <laughs> it's technical. Yeah, it's great. It's safe. It's pure, you know. And all of a sudden now this year, we have this thing called Corona. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a whole new topic. So one of the things that um, he did in this 700 section is uh, installed an ultraviolet light. The, the company that he uses is called Remy, and um, I'm sure you can post the links. Uh, oh, yes, their, yeah, their website yeah. And all that. Yeah. Um, there are many companies out there, but this is the, this is the one that um, Jake is familiar with. Um, obviously, the concept is for air purification, um, mold, spores, uh, even there's other bacteria, Klebsiella, yeah. Pseudomonas, um, all sorts of bacteria and pollen and and, and pollen. dander and dust. Yeah. Yes, that, that certainly, uh, yeah. 
didn't mention that um, one of the other things I do in life is be a nurse practitioner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> multiple jobs. I, I know how that is. Looking at the recent studies that are out there, they're using ultraviolet light mm -hmm. in hospital systems, in school systems. Um, I will caution you, there are different grades to the ultraviolet light, right. so please make sure if, if you are looking to install these systems that they are the proper wattage. Um, as a rule of thumb, something I say, basically, if it's not safe to look at it with your eye, yeah. then it's good. <laughs> then it's strong enough to right. kill COVID-19. Yeah. Um, I see these white wands and these handheld devices. Yeah. I know, no, I will never hurt people. Right. I don't think they're strong enough. I don't think they do anything. Right. So just kind of look at it that way. If it's not safe to look at it with your naked eye, then yeah, then it's yeah. probably doing its job. It's probably killing COVID. Yeah. Um, so that that so we did that was done in the house last year, and uh, this year, um, I I talked to Jake and I said, listen, okay, we really need these lights in all of our systems right. because this is cutting edge. This is revolutionary, and obviously, in the tobacco barn, which is now renovated, when we did the tobacco barn renovations, uh, 2014, put air conditioning in, and um, uh, you know boilers. Um, no, it, we, we didn't consider ultraviolet right. light. Um, Nobody was thinking we yeah, needed it. <laughs> so we're very, very excited to to say that, that the ultraviolet lights are installed in the tobacco barn and your and the guests can, it's just one extra level of, of comfort yeah, for them. And in addition to all the other protocols that you're Yes, following. we yeah. have to. Uh, follow all the protocols uh, that we possibly can. We're finding a lot of um, brides and grooms have different levels of comfort. Some of it's based on mostly their own personal experience. Right. Some of them have grandparents that are attending. Some of the grandparents are no longer here. Um, if there's any other health issues. And we, and of course, we have 10.3 acres, so we feel very strongly we can adequately social distance right. if people don't want to be inside. We have multiple restroom facilities as well, so we're we're excited about yes. moving forward here yes. post COVID <laughs> or, or, or through it. Yeah, we're, we're not really post COVID. I should really that. Yeah, we're we're trying to figure out our new normal. Yeah, new normal. Yes. We're still in this country. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, um, do you? Just from your experience with this property and, and as you're looking, do you see any challenges or trends um, in preservation? Uh, challenges will always be that by the time you finish one thing, it's time to turn around and do it again. Right. Uh, you and I were just looking at the windowsills in the front of the house before we started the recording here. And I, I could swear we painted them once already since we've been here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just amazing the, the constant level of maintenance that literally by the time you get to one thing, it's time to turn around and do it, do it again. again. Yeah. 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 Uh, another um, another big thing that uh, we've had to. Um, address and fix has been stormwater. Oh yeah. Um, 
as you know, there were a lot of different gutter styles um, that we noticed mm -hmm. last year. So we really um, found an excellent company and, and put the half rounds on everything. Yeah. And Has I that even, helped? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, they're beautiful. And <laughs> right. we also did gutter guards right. on them. Yeah. It was just, it cost a little more, but we, we just really felt strongly that we needed to do this. Yeah. Um, and, and to have some continuity, we found a company that, that was the other thing, yeah. finding, finding a company that we could stand by right. and say, hey, yes, we're going to come back to you for the next part of this project, mm -hmm. um, which I guess I could tell father now that they're going to be doing the garage in two weeks. <laughs> the gutters. Yeah. yeah so um making putting half right. rounds out on the yes. old carriage we call it the garage, but it is the old carriage house. It's a three-car garage, but the carriage house now. Yes. Yeah, it has actually it, yes, it, has, it has carriages. One of the things that you know, as far as preservation long term, uh that, that I would have a concern for, of course, is creating an interest mm. in young people. Um, I'm a great proponent of teaching history right. in, in public schools. Mm -hmm. it's, it's my impression that it, that has kind of been let go by the wayside to yeah. some extent. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard that too. Because I mean, that always seems strange to me. Now, then I have to remember how long I've been out of school. Uh, but it see, it seems strange to me because, like, my senior year, I wasn't taking any math. I wasn't taking any science. But I didn't. I was going to need that. <laughs> I loaded up my schedule with history classes. Um, and but somebody said because of the the shift to STEM and all the focus on math and science that they're not. But I they're still teaching history, it's just not the folk, that's not the focus. And, and I, I think that it is important. And I think there are, there are families that are still, you know, taking their children to historic sites and things, but it's not, that's probably the exception, not the rule. Yes, it, it's definitely the, uh, the future generation will, will always be a concern. And, right. Um, we live in a great school district, I think, that has um, a great relationship with some of the local GoTech schools mm -hmm. where they're able to really get right into trades and get credits right. for starting those yeah. trades. So I, I think it's also, um, I was very happy to, to hear that some of the districts do have some flexibility yeah. in different studies. Um, you know, based on the on the population in, in attendance. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think that's important too. Um, I think for a long time there was a push that you don't want to go into trade. You want to, you know, go get a go to college and get a job where you don't have to, you know, that you work in an office or yes. something. And and um, my husband started working with my father. He was going to school for accounting, which I can't I can't imagine him being an accountant now, but. Like, <laughs> We started dating. My dad wanted to know where he was most of the time. So he's like, come work with me for the summer. And, and, and Jonathan never left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, is there anything you wanted to share that we didn't get a chance to cover?
Okay, very good. Well, how can someone get a, in, in contact with you if they're interested in the venue or, or anything else? So be the wedding venue. Um, it's, there are images literally everywhere. Okay. Um, number one, of course, we have a website, which is whitechimneys.com. And we have Facebook. That was our first taste at social media. So they can look up Facebook and message that way. Uh, we have Instagram. Instagram is definitely a little more artistic flair, but there's a lot of um, uh, media there. And we even opened a TikTok account oh, okay. a couple months ago. That is something I did get the children involved. So we yeah. have different flavors on each of our social medias, but we're having a lot of fun with the TikTok accounts. Yeah. Um, the children like to prance around in the garden and do fun sparkly. <laughs> That's fun. Sparkly clips. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, very good. I will make sure that those are also on our website where the web, where the podcast gets posted so that somebody can go there and then and then find you from there. So thank you very much. Thank you for welcome. So this is the second part of our uh, white chimneys um, podcast. We um, have Jacob Shoemaker with us um, uh, from Shoemaker HVAC. Is that correct? Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay, okay. Thank you. I was, I, um, at the, when I was at White Chimneys with Jessica and her dad, I was calling him Jake, and then I felt terrible because, like, I've met him multiple times. So I'm glad that I'm getting this right now. So uh, we were having technical difficulties, so we're, we're going to put this all together so we're not all talking at the same time. So tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, yeah, I, so I've been in HVAC now for probably seven years. Um, I was a mechanic my entire life before that. Um, I had worked at a company prior uh, from owning my own business. Um, I've owned my business now for three years. So I've been in the industry quite a while. Um, it's been something that's definitely – I fell into it by accident, but it's been something I've been very grateful for because it actually has uh, been very rewarding and a very uh, interesting process. Uh, Jessica was telling me about your um – making like custom ductwork. So that makes sense as a, as coming from a mechanical background. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, my dad had uh, owned and still does own his own uh, triaxle uh, dump truck, a hauling company. Um, so I'd always grew up in the garage working on my, working, helping my dad in the garage with that. And then mm -hmm. I, I had raced motorcycles. My, my past life is I, I raced motorcycles for 20 years and I raced professionally for 10 years. Um, so I'd, I'd quit racing professionally to, then quit my job and start my business full time. But right. I, had, you know, I had built all my race bikes and all my race engines, so it's very mechanical aspect. So I can, when I want to get a piece of ductwork made, I can see what I want and I can lay that onto you know two dimension uh, piece of paper with all the measurements I need, and it always comes out perfect. Um, unless obviously we all make you know mistake or you know we right. forget something in the way. But um, being mechanical in the HVAC world, if you're mechanical and you can understand and read and learn, um, uh -huh. it's a very, very good trade to get into. And it's also, um, from a business standpoint, it does pay pretty well as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about your company. Uh, so, yeah, I've been in business for three years now. Um, when I quit my job and started my business full-time, I had done a little bit on the side before that, you know, just side work on weekends, right. weekdays, stuff like that. And it's, it's not, it's really hard to grow a business like that. So when I finally decided to make the jump and do it full time, um, I, just, I went for it. It was in January. I set a goal. I wanted to uh, gross for the year and I tripled that goal in my first year. So, I mean, I was 
completely oh, that's swamped. exciting. Um, yeah, it was great. I, you know, could not ask for anything better as far as my business. And I have a full-time employee now, um, looking for another full-time employee. So I'm very, very particular in the work I do. Um, I tend to have very good clientele that require a very fine detail. So I'm very picky, to say the least, on the employees I have and the work that's completed. So it's kind of hard to, you know, trust somebody to go out and represent a company. Um, but in the same sense, um, you've got to keep working and find the right guy that can help yeah. you do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the company, it just it, it grows as fast as I let it. It's yeah, been a very, yeah. I've been very fortunate um, that anytime I think I'm slowing up, I put out a couple posts on Instagram, call somebody, or it gets hot out like it did. Um, <laughs> the, phone call, the phone just keeps running. I jinx myself every week where I say, hey, I'm going to leave Monday and Tuesday open. I'd like to get done a little bit early and, you know, go ride my bike, uh, go take my, my daughter fishing or, you know, do something with the family. And yeah. I'll get slammed first thing Monday morning or, you know, middle of the day, I'll just get slammed with four more no AC calls. Um, or I'll get somebody that a new customer calls me, wants a project bid on, or just it just never stops. So yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, and it's it's hard to it's hard to have that balance. I I, I know that I I am not balanced. I I tend to I tend to go towards work. <laughs> right, and when yeah, and when you're in when you're in business and you're focused and you're driven and you want to accomplish as much as you can, you take on as much as you can. Even, right. if, even, if you, even if you probably can't get it all done, you still will take it on and you will figure out a way to get that all done. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's yeah. one of those good things where when those really bad jobs come in that you really don't want, you don't have to take them. And it's, it's nice to be able to, to be in a position where you can run your business the way you want and yeah. provide a good service and everyone's happy and then that's how it is. Yeah, that's that that is definitely a blessing when you when you don't when you can choose who you're working for. I, I definitely agree with that. So you work primarily in the Chester County area, is that correct? Yeah, I did I did a lot of work in Chester in Chester County, Southern Chester County, um, some Delaware County, not as much Delaware County, but I did do, I still do to work in Delaware County. Okay. Um, so yeah, mainly Chester County. I do uh, obviously work for Jessica White Chimney, so that's Lancaster County. Um, so the, yeah, that's that's right County. over the border. <laughs> or, or, I guess yeah, not right, right over, but it's pretty side. close. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. So, um, and then you said that you primarily work on older stone homes. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, my background yeah. at the prior company I used to work for, we had done a ton of historical work, a uh, mm-hmm. ton of Unicode systems, ton of stone, you know, old 1600 uh, stone farmhouses. Um, I still do obviously do that now. White Chimneys is an example of their barn with the main house there and both houses there. Um, uh, it's something with an old home that it's always it's always a, a big, giant puzzle. Yeah. And the customer is the one who tells you what pieces that they're, you know, in this case, they're okay seeing. It's always, you know, you want to make everything invi- invisible. You know, you don't right. want to see anything. Um, and which I understand. So it's always a, I love the, uh, so what's the word for it? When you have, uh, it's like the, you have to obviously think about it, but it's, it's the, the challenge, the mental challenge oh, yeah. of laying a system out 
that will both work 100% properly and is also as aesthetically pleasing as the customers I was requiring, or as or as I'm requiring. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a worse critic than anyone else. But, <laughs> I think um, that's typical. Yeah. Yeah. Do you um, do you find that there's challenges with working in an older building that you don't have in like a, a more a newer building, a more modern building? Or are existing buildings pretty much the same? Like if it's already existing, you still have to kind of retrofit. Yes, I mean, when we're, when we're talking retrofits, let's say we have a house that has no AC. Um, it depends right. on the home. So if, it's an old, if it's an old stone 1800s home, I know I'm doing Unico. Um, right. We can, we can hide the ductwork in a way that won't be as intrusive. You can, you can fish uh, the high velocity feeds across the ceiling, and when it's done properly, you don't hear it, and the customer is 100% happy. Uh, if it's a if it's a pre if it's a mid 1900s and later built home, usually we have an attic we can work in or an right. open basement. We can run main ductwork into a conventional system, but each house is its own uh, issue per se or its own right. puzzle. I guess yeah. you could call every, it. Yeah, every every uh, there are similarities, but everyone's a little bit different. Yeah. Yep. But having those tools and having those different. Uh, ideas for homes, you know, it provides a much better service and, and a final product to the customer. Um, I've seen conventional home, conventional systems with large ductwork jammed into an 1800 house, and they end up with all these boxed-out walls, all these solids right. in the home. Um, yeah. The systems don't work properly, and it just really ruins the home. And it's one of those things, you just, it, it's unfortunate, that's all. Yeah, no, and I, and I've seen that too, and and it is, it's 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 ugly, and it's like, did did nobody think about this when they were doing it? <laughs> they, they didn't hire someone like yourself. They didn't hire a good architect and, and somebody that understands historic design. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So, um, and the, the and the reason that Jessica had kind of brought you into the the podcast was that we were talking about the air fil- in, or air filtration. I usually say air infiltration when I'm talking about <laughs> when I'm talking about winter or weatherizing the house, but we're talking about the air filtration system um, that you you install. So, talk to me a little bit about it. You know, how does it work? What is it? Um, because I know right now everybody's kind of worried about their indoor indoor air quality. Yes, I mean, I, I've been installing uh, RGF, the company that does these UV lights. I've been installing their lights for at least the last five years. Um, I've had a lot of success in office buildings uh, with employees that would come in and they they something in the building was agitating them. Uh, they'd making them cough. We'd come in, we'd install UV lights in, in every HVAC system in the building, so it was treating every cubic inch of the air in the building. And we do that while they're on vacation. And when they come back, they didn't have any issues. They didn't have any coughing or anything. So something was in the air that was bothering them, and the UV light was able to eliminate it. That is when I knew that this light actually worked and was actually a reputable product. Um, right. And then, you know, doing, doing more research, when someone has uh, coliform in their well water, you know, that's from a, it's a runoff, typically oh, from yeah. farms, rampant, you know, that, that requires UV light. You need to bleach your well, and then you put a UV light in to maintain and kill that bacteria. So UV obviously kills germs and kills bacteria. A UV light does the same thing but filters your air. So I've been installing them, like I said, for the last five years, and all their products are third-party tested. They're all tested to kill numerous viruses, mold spores, bacteria, uh, sneeze germs within three feet. Um, another big you know, key point is that they advertise is schools that have implemented their UV light have seen a 
20% drop in attendance loss. Now, obviously predated to what's going on now. Right. Uh, but the schools that took the initiative in the past, it obviously paid off with less students missing class due to being sick. Yeah, that I, I, when I saw that, I thought that was pretty impressive, too. When we um, post this on the website, I'll make sure that we put a link to the, that site, too, so that people can see those videos, because I, I was not familiar with this system before I started doing research for the podcast, and I was, I was very impressed watching those videos and seeing those statistics also. So does it go into – does it, ha- it has to be, I'm assuming, a forced air system? Yes, so it has to be a okay. forced air system or have a system that's circulating in the air in the home, which is obviously only a forced air system. Um, right. I would install them in, in an ERV or an energy, uh, anyone that's familiar with the fresh air system in the home. But if a home has a fresh oh, like air Oh, like just like a ventilation uh, system, is that what you mean? Okay. Yeah, so homes that are spray foam are very tight as far as their air infiltration of the, of the building. They'll install an energy recovery system, which brings in fresh air based upon a, uh, a calculated standard. You wouldn't install UV light in that because when you have one of those systems, you have a, a forced air or forced cooling system. So it would go in uh, any residential HVAC system, so heating and cooling system. Um, it would go in the ductwork, so any air that passes by it would be filtered by the UV light. So the entire home, any, anywhere in the home that is conditioned by the heating and cooling system would be then treated with the UV light. And then in a commercial environment, it goes in the rooftop unit that's on the roof that also okay. does the same thing. So it's resident, both residential and commercial as far as the products they have for UV light. It's just a little bit of a different application. Correct. So, and do, have they, and I don't, know, I don't know the answer to this, have they tested it on the the COVID-19 or is that I know that they've tested it on things that are very similar like the SARS and the Mars but I didn't know if they had tested it on that yet or have you seen that so so the you know no one to say hey it kills COVID-19 right yeah. right so RGF has made has made machines that were approved to kill everything on a mask doctors and frontline workers could turn in those masks, those reusable masks that are not supposed to be reused. Right. They could turn those masks in. They'd run them through this machine, so a quick conveyor belt through the machine, and they were doing 30,000 masks a day and killing everything on the mask, including any coronavirus. Right. With the same technology that's put into the, the UV lights that I'm installing and that, they're, that you install into the air ductwork. Um, so I, and I, I guess that it makes the indoor, it makes the indoor safer. Does it make it completely, you know, it doesn't make it that it would be completely safe, but it makes it much safer than if you don't have anything to, to purify the air. Would you, is that right. what you'd so, probably say? Yeah. I would, I would definitely say that. So, you know, yeah. if it's, you know, things you don't, you don't go out and tell people because you you know, cause people could worry, but if you look up how long a saliva particle lasts in the air, Mm-hmm. If you laugh, if you cough, right. it's three to four or five minutes, and that's a long time. If you cough and then put a stopwatch and see how many times you walk through that or how many times someone right. else you walk through that. Yeah. So, so having a system in your home, in your school, or a business, or any grocery store, anywhere, that restaurants that, that have a system that, that it sucks that air up and treats it, it's going to 
obviously drastically lower the chance of something getting someone else sick, no matter right. what it and, is. Yeah, yeah, not, and that, just, that makes sense. COVID, right, not just COVID-19, but the flu, any, anything that's going to get somebody sick, having that filtered ability because, right. you know, you can obviously you can take the precautions, social distance, wear masks, but the chance of the matter is when you, you sit down and eat, you're taking your mask off, and, you know, there's always, only so much you can take. So taking extra precautions is just going to make, right. make a bad situation better is the, is the whole goal. Yeah. No, and I, I agree with that, and I think that, that this, is, this is going to have to be the trend if we get to any, like, kind of normal baseline um, because – you know, I, it's great that you can eat outside now, but I keep thinking, I keep, I feel terrible for the restaurants, really. Um, I feel very fortunate that, you know, that we haven't been impacted. Um, but, um, you know, now they can turn their parking lots into, into dining and they can have people outside, but what are they going to do in, the, in a few months when it's cold? The people aren't going to do that. Right. And, and I think that we do need to have some, some solutions that, that mitigate the risk. It might not take it away completely, but I, I agree that I think this, this makes sense. So, I agree, yep. Yeah, yeah. So is there, um, is there anything that you wanted to share that maybe I forgot to ask you or, um, or that, you, you wanted to, that you thought about when we were talking? Uh, not that it comes off hand. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's along with the UV light treating uh, viruses and molds, mold spores, uh, E. coli, swine flu, all these different flus that they were able to test on. It also right. helps with uh, pet odor, dander. Um, it, it changes the, a lot of times it ionizes the bacteria or the particles as it passes. So it neutralizes the dust, the dander, stuff like that. So it does help homes to have a smell. Um, RGS makes a new product. It's an LED UV light that has a washable ballast in it, and it's rated for smoking rooms and cigar rooms. Um, So you can almost smoke into the ductwork. Now, I did not test this because I'm not (laughs) smoking. I've heard this from people that I know, and part of me wants to find somebody who is a smoker and test it. but they say you can breathe into it, you know, smoke into the, the return of the unit, and you can't smell it after it comes out of the unit. Now, I would love to test that. Right. Um, but obviously I'm not promoting anyone smoking because that is not. <laughs> just, to t- just to try it out. <laughs> um, but it is something. There's other, you know, daily life uh, events that this UV light would treat other than uh, bacteria and viruses. Right, yeah, and I, the the dust and dander really appeals to me. <laughs> we have a we have a Siberian husky, and she she is she is like in full shed mode right now. Yeah, I have uh, I have three Czech shepherds, and my wife gives them a bath once a day, um, and my yard is looking like more hair than it is grass at the moment. Well, that's uh-huh. what I do. I brush her outside, and then I hope that the birds take it away to make their nest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you up with a bird's nest somewhere else. Yes. Oh, that's funny. So how can someone contact you? So they can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Facebook is Shoemaker Heating and Cooling. Instagram is Shoemaker HVAC. Uh, those are the two methods to get a hold of me now, or they can Google my company. I have great okay. Google reviews, uh, tons, of pic- tons of pictures on all accounts. Um, 
I take a lot of pride in my work. I post nothing but the work I do. I was thinking the other day that a lot of these big companies that spend tons of advertising, they always just post the, the generic, you know, somebody wearing a winter jacket or somebody hot, right. somebody cold. They don't post the work they do because usually the work they do is not pretty. And right, yeah. I say that and I laugh about it and I say, but I have had so many customers that don't know anything about their HVAC system. They wouldn't know what in the world they're looking at, and that is completely okay. That's why, that's why they hired me, obviously. And they tell me how great it looks or how it looks like art. So, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's, well, that's funny because I know that, like, there's, a, there's even, like, a preservation grant in, uh, for nonprofits. Only nonprofits can apply for it, I believe, in Lancaster County. And the person that funded it actually said this is for, like, the furnaces and stuff that nobody wants to give you money when you're fundraising for. <laughs> but, but it's true. Like, the stuff that you don't see isn't the fun stuff to, you know, donate money to. Right, exactly. Yeah, but so, uh, but I think I think it's important to kind of pull the pull the curtain back a little bit and let people see see how how it all comes together because people are interested in it even if they don't know how to do it themselves. Absolutely, and the systems yeah. I install um, more so would would let you know I really like hydronic systems. So you have all the nice, beautiful copper piping in the room. Um, everything's always super organized, very laid out, very even. You know, right. Uh, I'm very to say to say that lightly, but I can always when the system's so neat and organized, the customer can usually understand what's going on by just walking them through it real quick. And then if there's ever an issue, you know, I usually can diagnose a lot of stuff over the phone with the customer by having them check a couple of different points on the system uh, just by you know visual. Right. And at least help you know you know when you're lucky and it's Saturday night at ten o'clock, sometimes you can get their heat back on or you know get their AC back on if it's if it's in the middle of the day. Um, right. But in, in terms of getting a hold of me, though, I am working on a website. I do own uh, the domain. It's shoemaker-hvac.com. Uh, the website's not up and going yet, but that will be another form, to, another form or method okay. to get a hold of me. Oh, we'll list it on the – we'll list it on – is it a .com? It's a .com. It's a .com. Okay. We'll list it on the website where we post the, the podcast. We'll list it so that people, if they're listening a little bit later once it's up, they can go to it from there. No worries. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I, I enjoyed our talk. I feel like I, I learned some, some things about about the system and, and you and your company. Thank you. Uh, me as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.